That's right. We back, baby. Oh, feels so good. Gonna give life back to podcasting. Oh, fuck. You're one of those bad robots. Not too much more. We're gonna get sued. Oh, bad touch. Robot, give life back to podcast. Uh. Podcast is right. Oh! (laughs) Welcome to Motel Hell. Motel. We're, we've been called the Daft P- Hell or the Motel Punk Podcast. <laughs> no. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is all about the famous French duo, Cassius. You guys thought we were doing more Jack, J- Japanese directors? You're wrong. Dead wrong. In fact, so dead wrong, we killed Shinyasukamoto. Sukamoto. We should probably start doing warm-ups before these. Warm we it up. Sound drunk. Warm it up. I am so tired. I've been tired for so many days, and yet I'm here and ready for it. That's true. I'm Ben the Beardo. I am Dick the Fetty. That's true. That's true. What are we doing today, Dick Fetty? So, in an effort to never finish anything, <laughs> I have put off the Shinya Sukamoto episode. First we started with unfulfilled promises, now we're moving over to not finishing what we started. Yeah, that's right, baby. And uh, we will be finishing that series, the next episode we'll uh, finally get it done. But, yeah, I didn't get the movies in, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, so today we are doing the best records of the decade, according to me, and based only on my preferences and uh, (laughs) feelings on the day I made the list. And I'm here too. Yeah. (laughs) And Ben Ben is going to contribute both anecdotes and humors and the occasional mediocre record that somehow he thinks is elevated to some kind of decade-defining thing. So First, we're going to start with, what, the Donnie Darko soundtrack? Soundtrack, yeah. We want to talk about the cover of Tears for Fears, Mad World, the cover that took the indie emo sad boy world by storm. I'm talking about, I can't think of the dude's name. Or the year it came out. But that cover changed my life. real question is, why do you wear that stupid human suit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're not We're not. It's either about fear that. or love, you know, when you think about it. Which sounds surprisingly like recovery sometimes. And I think about that fairly often when I read the big Yikes. books. Mm. So, yeah, I just, uh, I made this list partially for my own edification and enjoyment. But also because... Everybody else was doing it, I guess. And it was fun to just look back at all of my best of the year lists that I have been compiling since 2004 and see what records I thought were such a big deal then versus the records I think actually matter now. Um, It's not unusual that when I compile my end of a year list... I'm missing a lot of releases I still really want to hear. Same thing happened this year. There's I haven't heard the new Blood Incantation, and um, there was... Wow, fuck you. Yeah, I know. There's a, a couple other death metal records. There was some, some other shit that I know I was interested in and just never got around to. So a lot of times my lists are incomplete and won't really capture... They'll capture what I thought was the best in the year that I heard it, but I'll miss a bunch of stuff that came out in any said year until the following... I think one of the best examples of all time is Oak's album on Downwards. I didn't mm. hear it until a year after it came out, and it's like one of the best records of the decade. I showed somebody Oak recently, and they're like, what is this? Yeah, they are idiots. You don't, you don't like this? <laughs> yeah. 
And but anyways, I heard it the year after it came out, and then I listened to it more than any record, even in the following year. So you know, it it wasn't my lists aren't accurate. Anyways, and a lot of things have changed. I don't do drugs anymore, whereas the first three years of the decade I was doing drugs. That's true. So. Uh, and it's really first four years as far as the list goes. So it really d- does shift things both in terms of what I liked then versus what I like now. What I get out of music, how I listen to music has really changed. I also now feel the endless march of time because sure. we can do a list on things from the last decade. Yeah. And the, the crazy thing is, is that, so I'm 32 now, so I could have done, it would have been difficult to do record spanning from 22 to 12. <laughs> but but as a person who is buying records from the age of like seven onwards, not obviously at the prolific rate that I I've reached a couple of years ago, but you know, I still heard a fair amount of music. I mean, I'm at a place now in my life where I buy between three hundred and fifty and two hundred and fifty record CDs and tapes a year, give or take. And the last couple of years it's been around three hundred a year, which is I don't know if it's insane, but it's it's more than your average bear. You might have a problem. Yeah, and I and I I've for a lot of reasons, slowed down. But, you know, so yeah, so I, I hear a lot of music, so this isn't coming from a place of, like, I have 12 iPod albums on my iPod from each year. I have 12 iPods. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, rather as somebody who's heard, you know, generally hundreds of cassettes, records, and albums from any given year. So, yeah. Hashtag humble brag. But before we get into that, are we going to talk about tonight's movie? Movie review. So tonight we watched Ricky O, The Story of Ricky. Oh. A 1991 joint. Ah. And directed by Nagai Choi Lam as Simon Nam. And I just found out that the guy who played Ricky, Sui Wong Fan, has been in a bunch of Donnie Yen movies. He was in all three Ip Man movies and... I think the other one was called Kung Fu Killer, and I I love me some Donnie Yen. Uh huh. So apparently he does a bunch of Kung Fu stuff now, like a bunch. Well, I think it's been. Yeah, at least since 1991. Right. So, it's based on a Japanese manga. But it's a Hong Kong production. Yes, which is interesting because I always thought those two countries completely hated each other. Anyway, Ricky goes to prison and. He fights everybody. That's pretty much it, right? I mean, yeah. So Ricky O is a bad. He's a well. He's a good boy, but he's got a bad, t- bad attitude. He's actually got a good attitude. He's just a good dude, and he's he very just, strong. He just really feels emotion. Yeah. Uh, and so he winds up in jail because he was trying to write a wrong or basically punish a, a wrongdoer. Yes. And and then winds up in jail for his actions. The plot is very similar to Con Air with Nicolas Cage, oh my God. <laughs> where, you know, he's basically in jail for manslaughter for defending a woman-ish kind of a thing. And, uh, yeah, but it, it the whole, so it's basically, it's like Fist of the North Star style hyper-violent yes. punches where, like, bodies explode because of the impact and the force and the fighting techniques. And it also is that graphic and gory, but done through 1991 Hong Kong special effects, which are... The special effects are very good. It's almost every other aspect of the film. But it's like 80s American horror special effects. It's like early 80s. Yeah, Yeah, you watch it and you're like, this is 82. And then you hear the date it was released and you're like, this was a decade later. So, (laughs) uh, 
Yeah, I thought... So we watched a dub, even though it was on Amazon, and it claimed the language was <laughs> uh, not English, but it was. The dub was... It was like any Shaw Brothers kung fu dub. Yeah. So it's this very specific style, like English-accented, no interest in delivery being accurate, on time, meaningful, conveying much, other than just like the basics and... So that it detracted a little bit, and we also watched it, you know, obviously dead sober, and it was the kind of movie that I think would have benefited immediately from, like, a joint and a couple beers, but... The first time I'd watched it, I was very stoned mm. and very wide-eyed. Yeah. But I liked it. I mean, I think my gut reaction is is probably three out of five, partially just because, I don't know, like, it might be different if I watched it dubbed... And I think I was expecting something a little slightly different, but the fighting, their aspects of it were awesome, but then, like, it wasn't like watching a Shaw Brothers martial arts film where everything was kooky, but the fighting itself is insane. Yeah, so, like, the thing about it is the actual martial arts in the movie aren't about well-choreographed martial arts. It's about brutality. Mm. Yeah, that really is it. That's that's the that's what I wasn't expecting. I expected it to be both, not just the one. Which is very interesting, considering the guy who played Ricky was in... I mean, the Ip Man movies get less good as you go on. Mm-hmm. But the first one, the, chore- the choreography... Choreography, sorry, is beautiful. It's yeah. done super well. I think, I think they do uh, Wang Chi or... I don't know. It's, it's about the guy who trained Bruce Lee originally. Mm. But the the movie, the fighting in that movie is great. And you can tell that the guy who plays Ricky has some like classical kung fu training, but doesn't get to use it. He just punches through people. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like the parts where he's supposed to be flipping out by himself, or he just looks real goofy-like. Yeah, uh, a lot of the emotion is lost through the bad dub yeah and the way it's filmed it's just one of those where the like the gore is awesome but it's not given it's sort of appropriate like surroundings or not even sur- i don't know how to put it like it's not framed in a way that makes it seem any different than anything else that's happening and because it's it is kind of a splatter flick. I would almost appreciate if they kind of said, like, put a little more emphasis on, like, oh, man, look at this, and, like, sort of gave it a touch more focus. It was just a movie that, with a slightly bigger budget, I think would have been, or more, like, I think artistry behind it could have been a lot better. Or even if it were a little bit longer, because I feel as though there's a lot of things that were... Hyper-truncated. Well, just lost. Yeah. Uh, why is he so upset about the one dude who gets killed with the train. Yeah. Who you don't see much of an interaction other than he trips one dude for beating him up. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, I mean, you're in prison. I mean, I understand you try to protect the weak, but you don't even learn that until much later in the movie. So that whole emotional scene where he's, he just sad flexes the whole movie, which is pretty great, but don't get me wrong. This movie is like a four out of five for me because I've seen it several times and I still enjoy it. It's something very much that I can put on the background so maybe that even deters from my rating a little bit yeah but i do love this movie it is better in its original language though yeah it's not like the dub for shin godzilla where it was done by funimation and the actors cared yeah yeah no it wasn't 
So, but it, I mean, there was a lot of cool shots in it. There's this, um, you know, there's these four different, like, sort of boss characters who control the different four directions of the, like, there's the east wing, the west wing, the north and south. And I guess it was the north guy was the effeminate yeah. uh, boss character who was, like, a super hot dude. Yeah. I mean, his his whole look was just like, ooh. Like, oh, man. Yeah. And he it, looked like a chick. He looked like a very hot very hot chick and it was just like a page haircut yeah it was but, very mulan yeah yeah something like that and um but it was funny because like you know again being this early 90s but it feeling like it's early 80s and i'm just imagining myself in some like cyberpunk cd disco sex amphetamine fueled thing and in that way like i definitely uh, i yeah it was a lot of fun. I would totally watch it again. I feel like I'd enjoy it more, both if I didn't have to listen to a bad dub and if I was sort of more prepared with what I was going to see. But I'm really glad we watched it because we almost watched Fist of the North Star instead, which we've both seen and I've seen like a lot of times, but I haven't seen it in a while. And uh, anyways, this was, it's good to do new things once in a while. Yeah, I've been trying to get you to watch this for a while. I do yeah. love this movie. It's not... Definitely not my favorite kung fu movie, and definitely not my favorite movie based yeah. on a manga. Ba- barely even a kung fu movie in some ways. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, it really is like, it's it just is like all of the Fist of the North Star parts where after uh, Ryu punches people, like then their heads explode. It's like you miss the whole like <laughs> punching part, and then it it's just, just like, skips right yeah, to the end yeah. of the fight. And then it's like, <laughs> yeah, but it in that way I appreciate like it's pseudo realism of. Like, he does one or two devastating blows that kill a person, and then they die. But there's a lot of, like, people getting knocked in the head so violently that an eye pops out, which does rule. I have to give it credit for I'm that. I'm sure, I well, I can't honestly say this, but, because I don't know I'm, when one actually started writing One Punch uh-huh. Man, but there's a large possibility that he saw this and was like, Okay. What if this was just a guy who could kill everybody in one punch? Yeah. I'm going to write a comic about well, that. Well, I feel like he just read Fist of the North Star. Which yeah. is about a guy who kills everybody in one punch. Yeah. He's a terrible artist, by the way. Who? One. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the guy who created One Punch. It's somebody else who does all the drawing, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's pretty It's pretty incredible, actually. Yeah. Good writer, though. Anyway, off topic. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely recommended, but definitely not my favorite thing I've seen lately. Uh... Ricky, Ricky, oh, the story of Ricky. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've now both seen The Lighthouse, and The Lighthouse is my favorite thing I've seen recently. Yeah. Yeah, Lighthouse is very good. A lot of jasm. Oh my god, so much. But, don't want to see anything more, just go see it. So, yeah. Okay, well, let's get to it. So, Records of the Decade. I'm going to try and intersperse a sound clip here and there. Taylor Swift, 19... 19- 89 I think it was yeah I'm not that was the the we talked about noise boys and pop artists and that's she's like I don't have any issues with Taylor Swift she's fine but there's a lot of noise boys who are strongly pro Taylor I I have that album on vinyl okay I told the person at the record shop I was buying it for my wife I bought it for me yeah yeah good for you do you I bought it with a brand new album too I was like see how edgy I am this is for my this is for my girl this other one yeah of course you bought it with a brand new album fuck you uh i'm going to probably not spend as much time on records i've already discussed at length in the podcast and i'm going to try to get through 2010 to 2019 in under two hours 
So let's see what we can do, guys. Okay. Uh, step one. Step number one. Um, <laughs> Just so, read them all super fast. All right. Just one. Apparently, this drunk driver, self-titled, flesh press, rebuild, crumble, and no return. House Rafna, you Inquisition, ominous doctrines of perpetual. I'm gonna vomit. Uh, I will, so here are the rules for the list. I tried to only include one artist per, uh, or one album per artist. I generally tried to go with albums rather than EPs. And I will try to give the label information formats that's released on stuff like that. Some of this stuff is still very much available, or at least available on Spotify or YouTube or whatever. Some of this is obscure, but mostly it's not. And this, these records are entirely based on, for me, in my life and in my personal preferences, they are the most important records of the decade. They are not supposed to reflect the zeitgeist or, you know, music at large, although some of them do that. Some of them will even talk about that because they, you know, I can't escape the zeitgeist any more than anybody else can. So I probably uh, could. I don't think you can. You I'm real slippery. You can't run that fast. No, I just oil myself up. So, oil. yeah, I think that covers it. And then I tried to generally keep the list to, like, 10. Wiggle Room with 12. 2012 was an insane year. Releases a year. So, the first one is Deathspell Omega's Paracletus. This is partially just because I felt like I had to include some kind of Deathspell Omega. But at the same time... I struggled a little bit because they're very much a band that I think was more the last decade was more important in the sense of they went from the more like orthodox black metal, like traditional black metal sounding into this insane uh, progressive dissonance focused whatever stuff. But I think Paracletus earns its spot here because it was highly refined in comparison even though their album before it, Foss Ite Maledictum Unus or whatever it was, uh, only had six songs, and of those, it was really four primary songs. They were long and tightly coiled. Well, they were long and sprawling, and it, it's a weird album. It was... And Pericletus, like, had more songs, but they were all much shorter and much less complicated and felt like songs. And at the same time, the whole album fits together to create a single song in the best way possible. Yeah. And it is exceptionally good. And I have extremely fond memories because I bought it in Finland at Sarvi Levitt. And then I took it back home and the first weekend I really got to listen to it, I dropped acid and played Minecraft for the first time and built a giant Nazi bunker in Minecraft on acid while listening to Paracletus on a loop with Jared. That is an actual thing that just came out of your mouth and, oh man, what a ride. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was so, Minecraft was so intense and this is, I mean, this is like the beginning of Minecraft and it was nuts. It actually started what was one of, like, the... As far as games go, I've dumped more hours into Minecraft than almost any other game. Just because it was so conducive to, like, doing uppers for three days and playing a single thing. I, I'll talk about it on our next episode. I never got to play Minecraft. I've never played Minecraft. Okay. But I there is huge importance in it and, like, what it did yeah. for video games. Yeah, it's, like, the single most important game of the last ten years. It is. Yeah. By far. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, that's Paracletus. 
it's a sick record. It's 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 still jazzy and dissonant and this that and the other. And at this point, like it's not even controversial. It's ten years since mm-hmm. it's been out. So, Drunk Driver's self-titled record, the record that basically was their posthumous self-titled release or self-released self-titled album. It was their second, but like really only true proper album was supposed to be on load. I've talked about this earlier in uh, 2019. It's an incredible record. It's the ultimate, it's one of the ultimate bad day albums for me. And specifically the song quality of my life is uh, just above and beyond anything. I'm, I'm going to play a little clip of that song. I might've even played it before on the podcast, but I don't care. You should just hear it. It's a total monster. It just, you know, the vocals get increasingly frantic. Just the pounding. It's like the slow song on the album, but it's the it's more of the sort of between like dirge, death march type of thing. It's just that it in a year that had some incredible records, I think Drunk Driver in a weird way still stands out as like the ultimate 2010 record, even though I mostly listened to it like in the next two to three years in my late stage alcoholism because it so effectively conveyed the mixture of like anxiety, panic, and rage that I felt at all times in varying degrees. So I, of course, I'm going to break my own rule almost immediately. I want to mention Flesh Press's Rebuild Crumble EP and also No Return, which came out at like this, they were just mirror albums that could have been sold together they're like mini eps but each one is got like two long songs on it they're i think they're the best flesh press releases because they are some of the first ones i heard so of course i have like the early attachment to it but they also distill and perfectly straddle the line between the more recent flesh press albums which in some ways are are, are just slightly more uh I don't want to say not commercial, but like they're slightly easier to listen to. They're, they're easier listening. Uh, but they also have the sort of massive Titanic quality of the earlier flesh press stuff. And they're just both really a lot of fun. It would be a disservice to play 10 and 20 minute songs for a minute on the podcast. So I'm just going to skip that one. Uh, but they're a really big deal. They're really good. These are the CDs that like sent me, spending a thousand dollars for a plane ticket to go see them in august in finland a couple years later i was just like oh flesh press are playing i guess i'll just rack up huge credit card debt just to go see them for 
a day. How's that working out for you now? It's sick, dude. It's so sick. You have no <laughs> idea how sick my debt is. It's it's honestly, everybody says so it's the sickest debt. Yeah, so <laughs> then there's House of Rafna's U, which is their one, two, three, fourth album on Glock Toro, their, their own label. And this was, I remember Miko Aspa described it on the forums as like, equally good power electronics as it is goth dance club music and i was and he was saying the second half of it is sort of a criticism but also like being surprised at how it worked and i like i like the idea I at like. least <laughs> i like the idea at least of a goth club and it really is they call it angst pop or at least there's a, there's a couple of bands that describe themselves as that it's a really good genre name yeah and sadly it's like co-opted by some really awful ebm bands but oh yeah, Hal Sarafna, who's like a husband and wife duo who both run a label, do this project, do November Novelette, and oversee a very consistent and slightly homogenous kind of outing, crush it. And I bought this on record right when it came out, got really lucky in getting a copy generally, and now it's one of the most valuable albums I have because it was a landmark change in both their discography, their style, even though in a lot of ways it's the summation of stuff coming before it, but it's just this, like, it's such a 2010 era album. The level of, like, disaffected apathy in the vocals, but at the same time, like, melodramaticness and, and like, cold iciness mixed with, like, very much emotional shit is, is profoundly good. And I will play a clip for you. discern the truth, or couldn't accept the whole truth, or because there was nobody else there. Did you see the truth a long time ago? This is the question I deserve to live with. So that's Today You Died, Did You Know Who I Am. It's like, oh, jeez, bro. <laughs> Gee whizzoo. Yeah, it's, uh, so it's funny. The, the album is like a headless white, per like a, like all white, not like a white, I mean, it's a white person, but they're covered in like white powder. Uh-huh. And they're standing with their hand, like arms outstretched and hands out. And I used to, I have all these pictures still on my computer of like, I would put, six triple c in one hand and like six triple c <laughs> in the other or they're like it was like a bag of coke and a razor blade or whatever on the sleeve of the record i did primarily mostly coke and dxm to this album but like for i i just remember getting this like in the midst of a coke bender it came in the mail and oh and, no yeah i took it down to dc uh to visit my old roommate and like it was it was the night that we like oh my god it was so bad we drank we drank super a lot very fast <laughs> to to get our load on as quickly as possible and then we had to like make a bunch of quick social stops but i 
what I, I had told him about some of the drugs I had, but not all of them. And I was like, we need to get back to your house. Like, I, cause I, had, of course, already indulged slightly and was very itchy to get to it. And he's like, well, oh, dude, I want to do blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to get laid. I was like, just shut the fuck up. We're doing this thing. So we finally go back up and we just like rail out a fucking cue balls worth of Coke blasting this thing. And it was like supposed to last us. You know how Coke is it's supposed yep. to last you more than the time that it lasts you. <laughs> Hardcore <laughs> drugs are supposed to last longer than they do. And he had this like smashed mirror. So we would just have like pieces of glass that we were just like crushing more like huge chunks. And this, I mean, this Coke was like so tightly packed. It was like really rocked mm. like crazy. Yeah. Seriously would make your nosebleed just looking at it. And then we're just, you know, and we're fucking knocking back the whiskey. And then we realized we still got to go out. So we, I had acid and I had um, mushroom candies, like chocolate candies. So we go to this nightclub for this girl's birthday and we have to stop by and say hello. And I've got, I'm like so drunk and so coked out. I've got the mushrooms like stuffed in my pants and then they go to search me and they just like are like coming out of my fly. <laughs> and the guy was like, you need to get your shit together before we're going to let you in. And I was like, I couldn't understand. And my buddy's just like, like basically undoes my pants, stuffs the drugs back in my pants, like belts me up. It was like, get the fuck inside. And then we go in, and I was like, let's eat these mushrooms, and so we do. And then as, like, the trip starts kicking in, I was like, we can get out of this club, it's terrifying. I'm, like, way, act like, I got the paranoia from the coke mixed with, like, the, the scary spooks from the mushrooms. And then we leave, and we decide to drop acid. And then, like, I don't even, I think this was the night that, like, we tried to get a cab, and we didn't have any money, so we had to get out of the cab, like, halfway through the cab I'm ride. I'm so jealous of your previous ability to find hallucinogens. It was never that easy for oh, me. Oh, yeah, it was bad. I don't even know how I wound up with those candies, but needless to say, we were at some convenience store at, like, 3 in the morning on way too many drugs that were not complimentary with the amount of alcohol that we had drank, and we were, like, buying fucking cat litter, and... It, he didn't have a cat like and i was like i have to get out of this corner store i'm losing my mind and he was trying to stop at this girl's house and i was like please don't make me do this i was like i want to go home so and i started having like kind of like mini seizures where i like i was like losing feeling in all yeah, my yeah. extremities and couldn't stop shaking and it was it was wild yeah i know the terrifying convenience story you're on hallucinogens i w i did a bunch of acid with a few buddies of mine and my girlfriend at the time didn't really do drugs like that, and somebody need. I think I needed cigarettes. Yeah, that's and how I was, it goes. I was like, I was like, babe, you need to go buy me cigarettes. We need to go to Wawa. I'll go in with you, but like, I need like, we need to go to Wawa. So we drove up there. We pull up out front. I'm in the front seat. I just go, nope. You guys are going, and I'm fucking staying here. Yeah. My buddy Dave's like, oh no, nah, dude, it'll be fine. Like, we're, it'll be great. It'll be great. And my girlfriend's like, I'll go get you cigarettes. It's fine if you guys want to stay here. Dave's like, no, dude, no. I'm going to go inside. It's going to be great. It's fine. It's fine. And they both walk in. He walks in, looks at the front counter, goes, <laughs> and runs outside and gets back in the car. I was like, you know people saw that, right? He's like, yeah, I don't yeah. Uh, mm, well, no. that, that was like the, the time I was on my way. To, I think I was with Andrew, going to Andrew's. I was at the 7-Eleven right near Andrew's house. And I, I'm on acid. I walk inside and it's like, Captain Jack, we'll get you high tonight. I was like, nope. And just walked right back out. I was like, I can't do this. So, uh, you know, it's funny. We, we try, we do some amount of planning for our episodes. And we, we really do make specific goals to make it as enjoyable for you as listeners and fun for us as podcasters. Uh, for, those, for those of you guys out there. 
And uh, I- I'm just going to say it right now, there's no way we're getting through... We're going to get through half the decade tonight in a reasonable amount of time. This is going to be a two-parter. There's just... It's just not gonna. Welcome to your next four episodes of. Yeah, House of uh You. It's an incredible album. It's still they do unlimited copies of all their CDs. Pick it up. It's very good. It's really depressing. I listened to it uh, along with another album I'm going to talk about in a second. A lot on my first trip to Finland. It. I got it right before it. It was a big part of that soundtrack, and I don't. It's a record I can really not listen to very much now because between the drug connections and the emotional connections, it's kind of a tough one. Yeah. But every time I put it on, I'm reminded of how excellent it is. So there's no dispute there. Uh, The next one is an album that I still don't own. And... That's shameful on my part, but it... You're a real piece of shit, you know that? So, Inquisitions, Ominous Doctrines of the Perpetual Mysterium, or whatever the heck it's called, the end of the name got cut off on my list. Out on Hell's Headbangers, there's like 17 different super nice versions of it, but it was the album that ushered in the new era of Inquisition and totally fucking ruled. It was the album I saw them basically playing songs from this and their first album and a couple of their, some of their other earlier or prior stuff, rather, when I saw them at Maryland Death Fest the following year. And I didn't hear this record until 2011, but I think it's hard to dispute if you're a black metal fan that this album, A, totally rules. It, it, it has insane riffs, insane songwriting, insane structures. Like it's, it's the lyrics are good. The vocal delivery, the production is that perfect mixture of like clear, but still brutal ish sounding. Although they're really not about brutality and they're more about like this kind of enchanted cosmic without being medieval, like weirdo shit that they do. The original album art was done by antichrist Kramer. Who's pretty infamous for, bunch of other shit oh i took death key off of here but uh he's behind that project and anyways the the artwork is like this huge skull thing puking like fountains of blood and it's got like skulls on the sides of its skull and they're all like puking this like cosmic infinity symbol into other skulls but in the coolest way possible just if you google it or look it up on spotify i think it's still got the old artwork it's fucking sick the poster for it like folds out and we it's, should get a van and paint that on the side of it it's that kind of shit but like with the black metal edge that's a sick album uh irm order four is uh one of the there's not there's not going to be a ton of noise and electronic stuff on here because it's it's kind of difficult to knock some of those down but this this is one of the standouts irm is again like another band where they meant an insane amount to me for a few years. They still do, but there was a period where it was like, that was my shit. That would that would be on any given day what I would tell you was like the best music of all right. time and the closest to like what my psyche feels and sounds like. And their albums are basically like weird next level art pieces filtered through power electronics and body mutilation and like extremely dark writing. And it's the brainchild of Eric Jarl and uh, Martin Blod. And Order 4 was the culmination, along with, the, and I can apologize, I don't remember the, the bassist name who joined before the album. But the album is like everything good they had ever done taken to like next level of discomfort, unpleasantness, sound and art design uh, to create like the ultimate album for just like sitting in your room on 
drugs or dead sober, like just cutting pieces of your skin off, like bleeding. It's it's just like some like heavy dark shit that was like really. I wasn't having like a great time in my life when I no. got into IRM and. Uh, you were yeah, in a bad place. Yeah, it was it was rough, and and Order Four was surprisingly like. As far as their stuff goes, I associate that more as, like, their party album. Not in the way that it sounds, <laughs> but uh, in in the way that it, like, came into my life. I got it over the summer, and the first time I heard it was with Nourished, and we smoked a bunch of hash oil and laid down in, the, in my car. Like, we just dropped the seats all the way back. We're sitting in my parents' driveway, just, like, hashed out of our minds. And it's really, like, well, I'm going to play a clip in a sec. You'll see. It's... It's beautiful in its own kind of way, but the music, each so it's four songs, each one's 15 minutes long, and they are like massive, sprawling, progressive sonic structures. They are not like, you know, four to the floor techno tracks or anything, anything remotely can, can traditional or, um, and we were just bugging the fuck out. Like we were, we, we, we handled for our, Probably like a good twenty to twenty-five minutes of the album before we're like, we can't fucking take this. This is terrifying. But it's also one of those where it's like, it's so scary. You start laughing, kind of things. Plus the hash. We just like had to get the fuck out plus of the car. Plus the hash. Yeah. So uh, let me play a quick clip of that. Yeah, so you said party album, right? <laughs> now I just imagine like a hot blonde in a fucking, you know, some kind of halter top or some kind of bikini mm. top and short shorts and a cowboy hat. You throw that on, she's like, woo! Holds up her fucking blue moon. Spring bright! Woo! <laughs> yeah, it, um, <laughs> when I saw, so like, Martin Blot is a, he's a pretty skinny, skinny dude and, um, the thing about, like, skinny dudes is when they get injured or self-mutilate, like, you just see everything more clearly. Like, there's no layers of soft skin, you know? It's just them and then the muscles and the bones right underneath. Yep. So I saw him do a live performance when I played United Forces of Industrial. And as part of it, like, he kept cutting, like, he, he would cut, like, a cross into himself with a razor blade like, while he's standing on this chair. And... 
But it wasn't like, you know how like normally if you cut yourself, you just like cut one place. Like if you cut the same spot over and over, like in the same session. Yeah, it's going to shave away flesh. Yeah, it's horrible. It's brutal. And so at least that's not like something I'm super into. And he's just doing that as part of the show. Just like, yeah, I was fucking harsh. And then this dual vocal, you know, it was so good. And just like at the same time being yikes big yikes like this is exactly what i wanted and being just having him be like three feet in front of me just cutting himself i was like this is a whole this is a whole different level uh halfway through i just wanted to be like you all right dude yeah you you doing all right yeah but he is he's doing i mean he seems he's he he, uh he wrote a bunch of letters to dennis nielsen published a whole book of like interview with really stuff yeah no shit and did like a photo essay it's like really it's pretty disturbing stuff, though. Well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But it go, yeah, it's, well, that's a conversation for another day. That's a whole other episode. Yeah, that's a whole other episode. Yeah, so, like like we said, Party Album, that's a fun one. It's, uh, it's just tough because, especially with these, some of these records in 2010 and 11, it's not to say that Order 4 wasn't the, to me, height of IRM doing what they do, because I think it is. But at the same time, because I heard indications of Negredo, which was the like the lead into Order Four, before I heard Order Four, I definitely or four. Order Four, I definitely would prefer it. And I also just like those two songs better. But you know, so it's it's tough. But if these, especially if you take these recommendations, go out and check out an artist in an album you've never heard before, it might lead you into more of their work if you are into it. So, uh, my next one is, is sort of the antithesis of this, although it still has its kind of gothy moodiness, but Michael Mayer, who is <laughs> famous compact, um, one of the bosses of the compact techno micro minimal techno, whatever German label and his Immer three mix, which is, uh, as one might be able to tell, the third mix in the Immer series. Is it the third? Yes. Not the second? No. It'd be really funny if it were the second. Or the fourth. It'd yeah. be nuts. But no. And the Immer CDs are famous because they basically married uh, German romantic gothiness to micro house minimal techno. The first one was, in some ways, a little bit more playful but then having like some pretty big deal like emotional moments mixed in there and then the second one was definitely a little bit more streamlined and less risk taking although i think partially because again i heard it first is in some ways my favorite of the three but then the third one at the same time comes along and it actually is better than the other two because it's more just it's barely even mixed all the songs get almost their full runtime and then it's just so clearly looking for the big emotional moments. And the, the whole thing that kind of makes it a big deal is that they were big eye-openers for people that were otherwise wouldn't be interested in minimal techno. The original one came out at, like, the height of minimal techno being a thing. The second one came out right as, like, minimal techno was suddenly becoming very uncool and, like, everything was too minimal and now we were uh, going into a whole new era of techno bringing back like british industrial like harsh heavy regis you know all, all the all the things that are big now that are now again falling off were again a direct sort of response to the ultra sleek german minimalism of the late 90s to like 2000 and 
2008 era, I guess I would say, 2006, seven maybe, um, when Minimal was big. And Emmer's all part of that. And it's like they're the definition of micro house, but in fact, one could say that there's very little micro house on them. It's like a whole thing. I, you get into wild, like geeky. My head hurts. Yeah, German historian I just techno like bullshit. Techno, man. Yeah. I, why you gotta do this stuff? Well, and and this isn't that, but it is way better because it's it's there's lots of clicks and cuts, but there's this level of emotionalism and romantic lyrics and remixes and whatever, and they basically play out as. Um, it's like a mixture of like teen angst and NUI with like romantic uh, sort of perks of being the wallflower as a techno mixtape and with like this slightly goth yeah. thing. Yeah. It, it's I'm very, horny. it's very easy to like for anybody. I feel like it's, they're just really, they're, they're good mixes that are barely mixed and they're, they rely on an incredibly intelligent and emotionally effective song like uh, or track listing. I feel like this is a very specific subreddit that I jerk off to. Yeah. So Immer three for me is I, I it's probably top ten of the whole decade. Like I would probably put this in there. That's how good I think this is. Will you do a roundup at the end, top ten? Lord knows I'm a try. We'll do top five. I, I actually made a top five list. Perfect. And then I added a sixth one. <laughs> bonus. We'll yeah. call that the bonus. Yeah. The bonus is drunk drivers. And when you get to it, I get to punch you in the dick. Sure. So, yeah. But I got this. This, again, was a, a CD I got right before I went to Finland. And it was so perfect. Because I got to Finland when it was, it was like the most snow Helsinki had seen in a hundred years. There was two and a half feet of snow on the ground everywhere. And it just kept snowing like the whole time I was there. So it was like literal winter wonderland. And I'm listening to this icy emotional and I'm still drinking back then. And it was over the holidays and I was like single at the time. And it was just wild. It was so cool. It was so fucking cool. And the, the track listing is closer music, Ben Watt, Tim Paris, Smith and hack raw dive, massive attack, Charlotte Gainsbourg, uh, it, it, it's, it's just a, I'm just going to click through a little yeah, bit. Go ahead, go ahead, yeah. Oh my God. So don't, the first song is don't let stars keep us tangled up. The Ewan Pearson remix. Sounds like a young adult. Novel. <laughs> so you're starting already with this like whole emotional thing, you know? It's almost like, is this a Tiesto mix? And then it's just like straight, excellent minimalism. But then, this is it. This is the one when the coke is just really like, mmm, mmm, ah! Uh! know you're gonna do a bunch of volume and slap your face on some titties later. Fuck, just fish out, y'all. <laughs> Seriously. Oh. This was the trip where I had a, a, a nosebleed on the plane out to Finland for the first, like, four hours of the flight. Oh, God. Yeah. Just, like, swallowing blood as I was laying back in my seat. So you go into 
from this into Guiparada's remix of Paradise Circus by Massive Attack, which is like the greatest thing Massive Attack has done, kind of, since Mezzanine. Okay, this is the level. We got more. We got more things to get through. Yeah. I want to. In fact, I want you to burn this frame, but not now. <clears throat> I mean, you gotta be fucking kidding me. It's so good. It's it's stupid. So yeah, there's that. Uh, the next one, I'm, I'm not going to play this for the podcast, but check it out on YouTube. Snuff's Male Supremacy. Um, Why won't you play it for the podcast? Uh, I guess I can. It, it's a So it's a seven inch, and it, as far as I'm concerned, Snuff is great. They do, they have reduced power electronics to all the things everybody says it is, but I still think with a lot of tongue in cheek that people do not pick up on, but it's maybe just like the finished self-seriousness. But it's a Finnish duo who perform and perform, perform, perform in ski masks the whole nine yards. There are albums... so many episodes of this now. You think we'd learn to fucking talk? No. It, well, it's talking too much. My words get slurred. <laughs> but, <laughs> anyways, they they do all these like, like horribly titled songs. They're very like it's like the ultimate misogynist whatever. And some of it feels very serious, but then other times I'm just like, you know, come on. Like, it, it, it makes White House look, like, subtle. So, which they actually are in some ways, even if they sonically are not. But, move on, move on. Yeah, anyways, Male Supremacy is is just, like, the perfect slab of snuff. Because, again, they, they, they take what are oftentimes, like, sprawling long... There's a 20-minute song that's just all about sampled around, like, a children's public uh, swimming pool is the sample of just, like, kids playing in the pool. And it's... Yeah, it's horrible and unsettling. And, like, it's very effective if I want to have, like, stalker power electronics about, like, murdering women. It's the music for it. But what I really want is a a shot of basically it's, like, cocaine, meth, and steroids, like, right into the tip of my penis. Snuff's Male Supremacy is that song. And (laughs) if you guys want to have Dick Fetty shoot those things into the tip of his penis, please reach us at motelpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Or, or dial 411-444-469-69-69,000. That's 444-441-MOTEL. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going to check that. <laughs> so it's just, it's a real ripper. And uh, the the delivery, it's back and forth vocals between the dude from Six Seed and the dude from Bizarre Uproar, Pazzy and Penty, or, uh, Pe- or Jesus, what did I say? Uh, Pekka and Pazzy, and... It's just, it's a, it's an anthem, and you know this sentiment may be uh, slightly crass or not PC, one could say, but the delivery is excellent.
pretty fun. Yeah. It, it, it's it's a, party music. It's definitely rock and roll, if I can <laughs> it's say. It's definitely rock and roll. <laughs> I, think, I think it's a rock and roll song. And... It was. It's very influential, at least for the music that I do, because they're they're like wildly powerful use of feedback as like a singular instrument and with clear control. And it's just this like, it it, it makes me think of in the movie The Thing when they heat up the wire and they poke it into the petri dish yeah, of blood. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't really sound like that, but that's what I imagine. Like that's what I'm envisioning in my head the way I hear them do the feedback. It just sounds like a hot wire burning a design into somebody's flesh and it's not uh with consent it's just non-consensual yeah it's brutal and and then there's just this like you know this 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 almost explosive slow down whatever and that's the song on top of two dudes screaming about male supremacy it's tattooed in our jeans i am strong and you are weak like that level of just direct but still like rock and roll and uh feedback even though what I do with Concrete Mascara is not about male supremacy and that kind of bullshit, like it's the 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 effectiveness of it is something I strive for. Like I can't I can't deny that that song just nails it. Yeah. So it, this is one of my like you know it's a seven inch it's just a two tr- track but I I still would argue easily top ten 2010. So the next one is this is tougher to talk about and I, I can't play this for the podcast but umpio's sauna which is i mean umpio has been releasing top tier harsh noise and experimental music for like a decade now with no signs of slowing down and a massive back catalog of stuff that should be released on a variety of labels that made promises and didn't keep them myself included and he is a master genius i talked about him a lot when we did our finished noise episodes yep. he's like a Finnish noise hippie, and but that's not really fair to him or hippies. And uh, although one of my favorite phrases, yeah, and he's just like a he's an awesome dude. And Sauna was, I think, in some ways, it's such a great name for a, a harsh noise album from a Finnish dude because they're the inventors of the sauna, and it's just like a massive, whirling, crushing cascade of harsh junk noise that, in many ways, isn't new but was very refreshing at a time, especially for a scene that was primarily pumping out tons of excellent power electronics, but not very much harsh noise. And I got it, the original tape version, among a bunch of other stuff from him in a big trade that we did, and it's stuck with me ever since. But I really, I mean, the 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 cassette rules, it's on Obscurix, and then it was later re-released on CD, and on Terror, I think, in Neko Records, but... The, the big thing is, like, I think it's connection to Penty for me and getting to know him and him becoming a friend is as important as that tape. But it's one of those where just, like, grab the tape, grab the CD. Again, like, playing it for 30 seconds doesn't even do it justice, so you just really have to peep this one. But it's a monster harsh noise release. You should listen to all of these in full. I'm not, and so I've got two more... This one should have been at the beginning, but I forgot because this is the one part where it's not alphabetized correctly. ASAP Rocky's Live Love ASAP, his first mixtape. It There's like way too much to say. Read big publications. They can talk about it and go on and on and on all day. The reality is it's a just like 
almost nonstop selection of excellent producers producing excellent beats with a bunch of guests, some of whom aren't that good, but all work well enough with ASAP. And it's before, like he has all this unearned braggadociousness and swagger and this, that, and the other. And it works because like I first found out about him cause I saw the videos for, uh, what is it? Fucking peso and, um, what's up and purple swag or whatever the fuck that song is called. I can't remember it anymore, but it's got the girl with the grill and like, and yams. And it's just like all like, like I'm just watching it. Like, yeah, like, like no ASAP yams, not like yams, the food, although yams are good, but how did you know which one I was talking about? I just (laughs) said yams. Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) And like the video for what's up is like so good. And there's those two hot, I would presume lesbians, the way they touched each other in the shower thing going on is like, yep. Dick Fetty, put your dick away. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, I mean, it it was like cloud rap b- becomes SoundCloud rap become, you know, it, this, this is like the mixtape that sort of changed all of rap, you know, as far as I'm concerned. And that's partially because I prefer stuff that mostly has been influenced by this. So my viewpoint might be a little skewed, but it's this changed the rap landscape like permanently. Is rap better now? It's different. I mean, <laughs> I would say that Little Peep does not qualify as better or Extension or any of those other SoundCloud rappers who have happily been murdered or died. I like but Two Chains. I like Two Chains a lot, but Two Chains is well. Anyway. So it's it, and the awesome part too is that this mixtape came out before the huge public food feud between Space Ghost Perp and ASAP Rocky. So they're on a bunch of tracks together as friends, and it's like really fun and nice. I know you like Space Ghost. Perp. I really do. I even though I shouldn't. I mean, his productions are sick, but his lyrics are painful most of the time. And uh, I, he didn't make the cut. I'm like, I can't recommend it that way. It's just not. Uh, so I will end 2010. It only took us an hour, <laughs> whatever it's been, with Yellow Swans and another drug story. So this is Yellow, Yellow Swans' final album is called Going Places, and it is a masterpiece of psychedelic drone. It like, it basically provides the ultimate distillation of the West Coast, like psychedelic acid fueled noise scene, in. While they preceded Emeralds and Emeralds in some ways made it bigger than Yellow Swans ever could, although they've gone off and like they're no, I don't think Emeralds is even around anymore. They they laid the groundwork for them as much as a bunch of other stuff. It's just like a beast of a record, and it was the capstone on like an awesome career. A band I sadly never got to see live, although my roommate who introduced them to me did see them many times, and at least. I think two of those times on acid and it was every bit as awesome as one would expect. And they, they, they write these like spiraling noise, but with tape loops and guitars, multi-layered, clearly thought out, well-produced, but not in a bad way, just incredible, like psych rock jams, but not for the sixties kids who just thought like a slight bit of distortion was nuts and maybe some tape loops, but for like people who have done the drugs I've done that just have been to newer depths of depravity, mentally, physically, everything else. 
and they're like, this is your psychedelic soundtrack, and you're going to kill yourself soon. And I'm like, I'm on board. Fuck. <laughs> and the best, so the whole thing, what this turned into was like a, an event that basically temporarily changed the nature of my friendships with two of my close friends. And uh, we, so on one of my birthdays, it was, I guess, the last birthday I had before I got sober. So this was a couple of years after this came out. We, uh, my sole intention was to do primarily a lot of cocaine. There was a variety of difficulties leading up to my birthday. And instead of getting to spend like a thousand dollars on cocaine, I only got to spend a few hundred dollars on it. But then we wound up with a bunch of other drugs because we were just oh, left no. scrambling. Yeah, I know. It was tough. And the first night of the birthday party, uh, we went and saw Converge and did a bunch of drugs. I did a bunch of research chemicals with my old roommate in a bathroom at the Union Transfer while the guy in the stall next to us had OD'd and was being taken out by the police and, like, the security. And we're just, like, in there trying to, like, quietly snort <laughs> research chemicals. Stay on the chemicals. toilet so they don't see four, two sets of feet, man. Come on, stay on the toilet. It was... I was so drunk. And, like, everybody let me drive them to and from... It was... It, you know, there's a reason I'm in recovery. Drinking and driving is bad. You know, if you think you have a problem with drugs and alcohol, you should definitely seek help. But anyways, so <laughs> we're like... Having locked. so much fun. Yeah, we are locked into some wild shit. And uh, this was right before... Uh, something about love is love, love... I forget the name of the Converge album that came out in 2013. But it, it was... They played Coral Blue. They had blue lighting. I was like, I am tripping balls. Only like two people of the five people I was with knew I was on trippy drugs. And they were just looking <laughs> to do all the coke. And so we do all this nuts stuff. And we wind up at the Cloverleaf, as I had hoped. And I've got my iPhone shoved into a toilet paper, like, uh, cardboard roll yeah. as like a mini speaker thing into like two little plastic cups. And I'm ripping lines off of the Cloverleaf ends in table and I'm trying to live the glory of my 19th birthday but everybody's burning out quicker because now we're all old and shit and it was like 24 or 25 I think this was it was like it was pretty bleak and I wound up with this like skin thing that was like maybe an STD but like it I don't know it was nuts and so the next day like half the people were like we're done we can't do this and I was like this is only the first day of the weekend we are locked into a serious drug binge and uh, leading up to this, my, my one friend had promised that his girlfriend was going to be out of the apartment for the weekend, that we could go up there, we could party, we could do whatever we wanted. It was going to be a chill, safe party zone. Uh, that may have been less true than I was led to believe, because when we arrived at his house, he was like, okay, we have to be quiet by this time. We have to like be out tomorrow no. by this time, and you can't. You know, there was... Do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, and I mean, I might... And I'm not trying to be unfair. I know you listen to the podcast, bro. Like, but it was... We came into it thinking, like, this was a no-holds-barred continuation of the heavy drug usage. Because you're a horrible drug addict. Right, and and, and suddenly... And it was, I think, partially just, like, he over-promised in advance, thinking it would all be okay, and then it was less okay with his girlfriend by the time it came to it. And she was gone... But he was, like, really afraid of... And he also had this, like, horrifically assholeish upstairs neighborhood threatened violence and a bunch of other stuff in the past. So, but, like, I'm I'm already on board. Like, we're already going to do the drugs. And what we had left over primarily was an insane amount of mushrooms that were incredibly powerful. And we took them. And, like, we are coming up and we're feeling good. And it's me and my old roommate and, and my friend whose house it is. 
and uh, like he is just starting to trip. My buddy whose house it is is starting to trip very, very hard, and he's like starting to freak out. And my old roommate's like, you know, we we gotta find something chill. What are we gonna put on? And then I look at Xer, and Xer looks at me, and he's like, should we opt out? And I was like, let's fucking opt out. And Barry was like, oh, what are we opting out of? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, oh, no, dude, you'll know. So I put on this album by Yellow Swans, which is what we are allegedly talking about, called Going Places, which is, like, the best name for a psychedelic noise drone album yeah, that you pretty can good. pretty much have. And, uh, and then the second song is called Opt Out, and it's... I'm going to play a clip in a second, but, again, it's another 15-minute sprawler. Like, you just got to listen to the whole thing. And we are in like we we are sitting in front of this big glass table, and then these two huge speakers, you know, against the wall in front of us, just like staring at a blank wall. Other than this printed out picture, much like my Sherilyn Finn one, of the dude, the um, pimp from, or like the club owner from the original Blade Runner, Daffy Lewis. Yes. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and it's like, and then this song, and then it, the way that it builds. And I just, like, drop to the floor, like, about halfway through it, and I clutch my face, and I've got my, like, you know, elbows into my knees, and I'm in, like, the little, like, uh, fetal position, and I can feel my face melting off and, like, pooling around me in, like, multicolored cosmic oh, light puddles. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like, oh, fuck. And I'm just, you know, you just... Just sobbing uncontrollably, but silently, like just you're just tripping balls. I mean, we are like so. And Chris is like buried in the couch cushions, and Derek's just like, I didn't ever ask for this. And uh, um, with the by the time the song finally ends, like we are shooketh, you know. I mean, to the core. And then my older man and I are just like, all right, let's get a glass of whiskey, go smoke a cigarette. And so we go outside and we are howling with laughter, like balls out, but like we're riding the wave. Yeah. So my friend whose house it is, is, is now, uh, he, he is like a broken man and is super worried about the neighbor and like all this stuff. And it turns into a whole thing. Needless to say, the, the night wound up being very fun, but we had, we then wound up, sort of being on two very different wavelengths and yeah. he was just really struggling to deal with our energy compared to where he was at and the fear that was upon him. But it was great for that, for that 13 minutes, we all opted out together, but we just wound up in different places. And, but I like, and, and the thing that I'll never forget is like that, that moment dropping to the floor, but then some nine, six months later, whatever it was, when I started playing through Mass Effect 3, right after it came out, like, as it came out, I was playing it, and the game starts with the Reapers, well, spoiler alert, the Reapers come to Earth, and they... How old is this game? Uh, seven years. It's your fault if you haven't played it yet. They come to Earth, they, they do their reaping thing, and when they shoot their Reaper lasers, they make this specific sound that sounds like this song, and so... I basically had, like, as I was playing the game, like, massive flashbacks to Yellow Swans, like, cutting through my head like a planet-destroying Reaper megaship. And the songs became linked, and I still had a few months right before I got sober. And maybe it was 2012 that that came out, I guess. It was 2012. So, all right, so let me play a, a short clip. Let's uh, play it. Let's see where we go.
I can honestly put my mind there, and I'm a broken man. <laughs> it's like not an appropriate song for that level of mushrooms, and but it was like that's how you break the barriers. You know what I mean? You have to push yourself mentally to like. But, I mean, when I first started tripping, it was on DXM, not fun drugs, and I would do it listening to fucking Connie. So, like, my yeah. barometer for fun and interesting listening experiences was wildly broken from day one. I mean, just completely. Because <laughs> I, I, I can remember talking to other people that liked the same drugs and liked the same music, and they're like, why would you... What is wrong with you? Why would you... I mean, we talked about this when I reviewed yeah. Connie a, a year ago or whatever it was. Like, they... Remember, the dude... The, husband and wife now from Stuart Goddess were like, what the fuck? Why would you, why would you take day except and listen to Connick? That's fucking horrible. I was like, yeah, I know. It's pretty sick. <laughs> Loved it. Loved it. So yeah, that's, that's my 2010 recommendations. They are heavily influenced by my drug usage. And, uh, I think that honestly I can get through 2011 a little bit quicker. I do have one 2010. Oh yeah. Hit me with it. Uh, Circus Survive. Ah. Blue Sky Noise. Okay. So, I don't think I've ever talked about how Circus Revive is like one of my favorite bands. Not much. And no. is one of the bands that I did the most sad drugs to. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah, I got it. Like when you've got all these drugs and all this alcohol, but nobody wants to see you. <laughs> so, <laughs> you just do them all by yourself and listen to music. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's it's uh, and then so it's you a lot like of this, blank scare. Do you like this record more than their next one? Yes and no. Okay. So the reason I'm doing this over Violent Waves is because when Jaterna came out and I listened to that for the first time, that album kind of changed who I was. Sure. And it was one of those things where I was still a huge scene kid and nothing's ever, they're never going to put out an album as good as this. Like, it's just not going to happen. And then five years went by. Five years. But they put uh, On Letting Go came out right between the two. Uh, you might be right. Hold on. Yeah. So, yeah, On Letting Go came out in the interim, but Jaterna was still my favorite. Well, I think, I mean, because On Letting Go is okay, but it's, I think most people were like, ah. That first album was so felt like such a wild jolt of out of nowhereness. Yeah, well, not unless to mention, you knew Seosin from the beginning and all that. Well, kind yeah, of stuff, Anthony but. Green had his high pitched voice and so many fucking honey pots. Yeah, and one of the reasons I got really into his music is and and Circa was be solely because he was the same kind of drug addict I was. Yeah, and he got kicked out of so many bands. Yeah. Because he Couldn't was just a heroin. fucking mess. Yeah. There's an interview I read with him where his sister was actually in drug counseling and he he came home from picking up drugs and was so fucked up that he crawled into bed with his parents, not realizing it. And he wakes up the next day and they're holding an empty pill bottle, which happened to be in his pocket as he's in their bed. Yeah. So when this album came out, um, there was a lot of darkness. I mean, it was it was 2010. I was drinking very, very heavily. Is this the one that has Glass Arrows or whatever it's called on it? Something about that. Glass Arrows is the third song. Yeah. Uh, it also has Die in the Wool, which is my favorite song off the album. Mm. But I 
don't get me wrong, I love Violent Waves. I honestly think Violent Waves is a better album, but this kind of re-solidified my like for Circa. Sure. In a time that was very dark, and I'd seen them quite a few times that year somehow, even though all of my money was going to booze and drugs. Sure. And then I ended up getting to see them with you. Yeah. And I think they actually opened up with Get Out, which is from this album. Yeah, I think, I think Which was, right. that night was weird. That was a rough one. Yeah, I got to get backstage though, so fuck you. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't begrudge you anything about that. That was just... I'm not going to tell everything that happened yeah, that day. Yeah, please don't. Because That's that is... Just, yeah, it's much too personal. Yeah. <laughs> completely unnecessary. Not an appropriate story for the... I mean, I could talk about overdosing on, you know, practically ODing on mushrooms and smoking crack, but let's not get into the fucking that shit, so. Yeah, the one and only time that I think I almost died doing drugs was from, was listening to this album, mm. and it was, like, towards the tail end of it, where nice. everything gets a lot quieter, yeah. and, like, really, like, like, oh, man. Yeah. So, that's one of my few things. My scene kit is showing, I guess, but I love, I love Circa's Circa. a good band. I, yeah, I'm definitely, I, I toyed with the idea of putting Violent Waves on, but because I bought that album when we saw them, I really loved it, and I still really enjoy it, I, I think, like, Suitcase is just, like, that's the only circus song I would ever need, honestly, but, um, and I like everything about it more than every other album except for maybe Deterna, but I, I still even like it better than that, but... Well, it's, Deterna's just riddled with him making references to his horrible drug use. Yeah, but at the same time, I can't really... It's like, I don't really listen to it anymore because of all the shit that is all related to all this, you know? And I have also similar, like, weirdly enough, memories with Circa and all that kind of... And it's just like... It's a lot of more emotional baggage for me, and I'm just... I can't... They're a winner band for me. They're when I'm a little bit more sad and a little bit more uncomfortable now. Sure. So yeah, so let's let's we're gonna we're gonna jump into 2011. It's becoming abundantly clear to us that we're going to do this whole series very differently. What? Nothing. Uh, than we expected, and be breaking these down into mini sods, and it'll make it easier for you guys to listen to them, for us to do a good job talking about the albums without rushing, but also um, you know so. Yes, if in the beginning of this episode it sounded like we were going to do 10 years in two hours, well, <laughs> we lied to you. Uh, we'll just be peppering these in along with the regular episodes, I think, going forward. Because we just, you never know how long something's going to take until you yeah, start doing it. These, I guess, are going to essentially take over BDMFT, BD, BDMFT for a little while. Yeah, We're getting back in the swing of things, guys. Yeah. Bear with us. So the next one is uh, another one where I picked up this album... In the, the year following, it's actually not, it's not a true album in the sense of it is a collection of a couple releases together as a three CD compilation, but it provides new material, remixes and, um, well, it doesn't remix, but basically changes the track listing of each of the separate releases to come up with, I think, a new cohesive piece that's complete. So I'm not counting Shania it as... Shania Twain's greatest hits. No. I'm not counting it as a comp. I'm counting it as an album, and it's Dim Dike Stare or Dim Dike Starry or however the fuck it's pronounced. I just call it Dim Dike Stare because that's what's easy for me. Triptych. On Triptych. Modern, on Modern Love. It's a triple CD, and it's a surprisingly easy to listen to triple CD. So it's a sick double dick. <laughs> Close that goddamn door. I'm going to beat the shit out of her. 
I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play Hashishin Chant. Just so you guys know that technically Flexlexa isn't off the podcast. She's just our background artist now. So if you guys ever hear noise, Foley artist. Yeah, our Foley artist. That's her. <laughs> yeah. She just wears. She puts hard sole shoes on her hands and just stomps on cutting boards. <laughs> So here's the deal with this record. So first of all, there's the the one song Erudice, which is the the first CD's good. It's like two big songs and then I think one or two bonus tracks. It's all right. It's really actually beautiful and nice, but what I'm here for is the second disc, which is spooky as hell. And the guys behind uh Dicky Stare, they're 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 grouped in with like Hacks and Cloak and Rolly Porter. And some other sort of sound artists that take, like, bass music without the club for the floor tracking sequencer based club music. Yes. And just take a lot of, like, club sounds and remove them from a dance tempo or structure. And then create, like, basically dark ambient... Spooky. Spooky stuff. And I forget what they were calling it at the time. It was, it was like, Witch House, but not like Salem or Purity Ring, but literal witches would listen to this. Haxon Cloak takes its name from Haxon, which is like an old famous thing about witches, this famous movie and blah, blah, I could blah. go into it, but I'm not going to. Yeah. So anyways, there's, there's a bunch of different thingies and dealies and stuff. And these guys <laughs> are famous because they, in part, sample the shit out of a bajillion records. They're huge record collectors and plunderers, and they're part of like this sort of plunder phonic genre but also with bass music deconstructed club it's it's part of like a larger weird thing post internet electronic music world that we live in i I don't know it's very much like internet informed but at the same time only exists because they do all the hard physical work of literally going through thousands of records within record shelves it's impressive man yeah and so at the same time despite these like wild deep cuts and samples that that erudite song samples maniac the original maniac film when he's sitting in his bed talking about like i shouldn't go out at night anymore and it's really spooky and scary and he's like you know like and doing this whole like back and forth with himself and it came out right around the sort of soundtrack revival boom but honestly i guess it was well it was about the year that that really started and it's just interesting because I happened to see that movie around the same time and was like, oh my God, I know what that's from. And then there's a couple other ones that over the years, they they do a lot of film score 
sampling and then other like weird stuff and I generally I'm pretty good with picking shit out. It's cool. There there's this um a song a couple more in called The Stars Are Moving. It's it is like DXM music if ever there was DXM music and it came out when I was still doing drugs and I did a lot of DXM to it and I'm sure it would be like good for ketamine too, but I think DXM is just the perfect speed and length for it. And being a triple album of similar sounding, but at the same time, like very, they, they take a, because they do so much sampling, it really gets a lot of different places. It's very good. Like you just pop all three on. It is very good. You trip out. And I love how often we're like, kids don't do drugs. This is the perfect song to shoot heroin to. Well, we're not talking about that. And I mean, the reality is most people are not going to spend near a decade abusing DXM because most people will do it a couple times and they say, this is horrible and I never want to feel this way again. Not I'm, us. Yeah, I'm a sick boy. You were a sick boy. And I, my drug career was based around the idea that I could do DXM in a way that other people smoked weed. So uh, it was just yeah. a different lifestyle and it has had profound changes on my brain chemistry and the way I perceive music. So many CBS visits. So the next one is Ilsa, uh, mm. Tutti il colore del buio, which is takes its name from the Italian title of All the Colors of the Dark, the um, Sergio Martino, Edwig Finnick, yep. Pseudo Giallo, Rosemary's Baby ripoff, Satanic Panic, crazy film. Uh, and this this is like, of all the records in the decade maybe the single most important record almost not the record itself, but more of the impact and the surrounding of it. And the very short story, which again is riddled with a bunch of drug use and whatever else. <gasps> yes. Is I saw Ilsa for the first time at damage city, which is a punk hardcore metal festival, relatively small, uh, but still big in DC that happens every year. It's, I think at least in part was organized by Chris Moore, who was the drummer from Magruder Grind and is the drummer in Coke Bust and Disciples of Christ and some other like awesome power violence bands. And I did a ton of drugs the night before the thing. I did some drugs the day of. The Get last... specific. What was the date? Now, what was the time? <laughs> it was March 2011. <laughs> I had a bracelet on because of my DUI, so I uh, couldn't drink. Yeah. So my drug use was on the upswing, and I wound up, before the show, eating a weed candy Jolly Rancher that everyone said to take half of, so I told them, fuck you. And How drank. do you take half of a Jolly Rancher? Well, they were, like, much thinner. They made out of steel. Yeah, no, they were much thinner, so they were, like... Oh, like but they were ones? Yeah, it yeah. was, like, the long boy. So I, I broke in half, and then I just ate both halves. <laughs> And then this I got be easier to put my mouth now. Yeah. Then I was so fucking high. I could barely like, I, I basically kept having to leave the venue. Cause I was like, I am too high for this. I'm like <laughs> so high. I feel like I'm made out of brownies. And, uh, Ilsa, I think Ilsa was the opening band. And what I didn't realize at the time, or maybe I did, I don't, it didn't really matter. They're made up from dudes from this band called time of the wolf. That was one of the few black metal bands from United States, let alone like this sort of South of the Mason Dixon. And I saw them my first month of college as a freshman at this crazy show at UMD and blah, blah, blah. So I immediately was like, oh, these dudes fuck. Like, they're cool, even though right. their black metal was okay. And then they come out with this 
crust sludge death metal shit that's basically really surprisingly well-written lyrics that are interesting narratives that like deals on top of fucking rowdy as fuck like super distorted sludgy riffing the occasional like blues through amphetamine psychosis guitar melting solo cabinets crumbling just like pummeling drums and then these near monotone vocal shredding screams and i'm just standing there like weed candied brain melted having just been up for way too many days more than one and being like this is amazing <laughs> and their album was already they had done a pre-release uh version and then they had just done like a super limited lp which i eventually did get the original pressing of but i was just stuck for the next like three months dying to hear them again but they hadn't done a big release of it yet and there was no way to really hear it but you know what it set me into was death metal like i i listened to death metal here and there you know i did the whole od denial and blah 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 but i was never really like i spent the last four years before this listening to exclusively black metal yeah as far as metal goes or and the occasional doom and sludge but this was a band that I think they partially got me because of some of the sludginess. But they were death metal. And they threw me into death metal, which now I listen to more than any other kind of metal. And it's like, you know, it was just, it totally, that, and, and it was partially because of the bracelet. I couldn't drink, which was such a shame with death metal. And I wound up just doing DXM every other day and blah, blah, blah. But we wouldn't have done our carcass episode last year if it wasn't for seeing Ilsa in 2011. That directly led me to Discanting the Insalubrious. So you guys are welcome for that first episode that you loved and the second episode that you kind of, meh. Yeah, mad over. Uh, it's just like a rocking record. It's, I, I mean, to listen to it in the context of metal and death metal overall and whatever, like, is it the greatest death metal album of all time? No. But is it the single most important death metal album for me? Yes. yes. And the last song is fucking awesome, but the whole thing rules. I mean, there's this, the middle song is called Frostar, which is just this chugging fucking riff. Let's, let's just listen to Frostar for a while. And their next album, Intoxicantations, <laughs> it's like, 
It has a fucking tiger. We've talked about this. It yeah. has a tiger, and and then there's acid. There's a blotter acid on the yes, tiger's yeah. tongue, and there's a fucking spoon with teeth and maggots coming out of the teeth, and the guy's shooting up teeth yeah. maggots. They rule. Also, one of my favorite band names, strangely enough. Ilsa? Yeah. Yeah, Ilsa She-Wolf of the SS. Yeah. I know. If, if you're going to pick an exploitation film to riff on, that's, that's a good one. So, yeah. Album Rules, it was a Contagion released the original LP, Dark Descent, then re-released it. The next one, I, I'm, I'm really not, I'm not the person qualified to say much about this. Macintosh plus Floral Shop, originally like a MP3 self-release slash on Beer on the Rug, then cassettes, and there's like semi-official LP versions. It's the Vaporwave album along with Echo Jam. It's the most famous, it's the most memed. It's the the head of David, yeah. pink background. It's the whole thing. Uh, Vectroid just came back and put out his first new Macintosh Plus material since this, and it's very weird. For a second, when you I, I, I heard that Mac, and I was like, if he says Malcolmore, I will actually <laughs> punch him in the fucking mouth. No. I was ready. My I, I don't know if you were you were talking. I don't know if you saw, but my hand actually curled into a fist, and I was ready. Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't see that. But basically, Vaporwave was designed by a computer AI to ad- appeal directly to me. And despite many of the things that make it incredibly cringeworthy, I couldn't deny its excellence. It's such a much, it became like such an explosive hotbed for creativity and at the same time, like total staleness and ultra, like immediate meaning of itself and yeah. all this, like. It's just a wild... Vaporwave is just such a weird fucking thing. Yeah, and it's it's like the... Again, it's such an incredible example of all that can happen with the internet, good, bad, and ugly, within months and well, some like a year and a half. some people who aren't weebs want Japanese letters on their shirts and right. shit. Yeah, and it has hugely influenced, I think, like, like basically modern, quote, street fashion, any kind of... Anything that's not like hot, haute couture fancy fashion and is but it has also influenced that but is it's just like it's it's influence is incredibly profound and i also have a toasty co macintosh plus floral shop uh crew neck which is you do clutch and worth a lot of money and um that's cool too it's a really amazing album and if you're into electronic music you should listen to it i happily got into it i guess like just early uh, it was a year and a half after it came out but it was early enough to still be able to enjoy it without feeling like it was all hype and that took away from it yeah but i mean we're in our 30s now who gives a shit that that's part of it too so um so yeah there's that uh the next one i struggled with i don't know that it really belongs on here it's an incredible album but i don't know if it's decade defining Nicole 12's Black Line on Freak Animal and IOPS, and the, um, the there was a 7-inch that came out at the same time. It's like Rites of Spring or something like that. It It's definitely, in some ways, the best Nicole album, Nicole 12 album, and it elevates the subject matter and the sort of... I think the approach is more intellectually interesting than on Substitute, but... It also doesn't have some of the same gut punchy, like 
wild unpleasantness of Substitute, which yeah. has the ballad ballerina, which features music from the film Lolita, set to like a vocal narrative about a guy wanting to fuck his daughter who's a ballerina and jerking off into her shoes and all this stuff that's just like awful. Or the really horrible samples. Like there, there's the whole Megan's Law. The, I can't think of that. But there's a whole song based around the samples. Yes, from the I know. Detective. I like the Cold Twelve. We've listened yeah. to that album all the way through. Yeah, and it. So, anyways, I mean, Black Line is very good. There's a song called Wrinkly Bills that's especially like, oh, fucking, oh, just uh, like, yeah, like the, the the synth of it is just like, um, like I immediately am just picturing an old dude with his balls out in a car, and they're just sitting on the leather seat of his car, and some like underage girl is, you know, receiving money to do something with him, him, whatever it is. It's it's a killer album, and I think it, it really is. But it also, I don't know, like it's, I don't know. I does it, it make you feel gross? No, it's not even like that at all. Like pff, Nicole Twelve is whatever to me at this point. I'm totally desensitized. But it's more of I just don't know if it rises to the level of importance. Even though if you could say like technically it merits recognition. Well, it's on know. the list, and yeah. you've talked about it now. So, so. here we are. Uh, all right, moving right along. Numinous, their album, Numinous. <laughs> uh, Northern Heritage on the label, Numinous. Yeah, no, that there are <laughs> my favorite song on Bad the album. Company, Numinous. <laughs> <laughs> so Numinous is is a is a uh, two brothers from Finland who make black metal. They did a demo in like two thousand and one or three or something like that. And then nine years later, or ten years later, or whatever it was, recorded an album. And then, uh, I think it was eight years after that, recorded like two more songs. And right. now they're both in prison again. So they, they, I, my understanding is they're both in and out of prison because they're not very good dudes, and they do like really violent, bad stuff. And they, even in Finland, which is seemingly chill as far as prison sentences go is like nah we're kind of sick of we you slap guys. you on the wrist they're they're supposed to be like pretty spooky scary like not they're not social black metal dudes these are not like internet nerd warriors these are these like, are black metal dudes that live the lyrics instead y- of they're like we're poets yeah and it and it's sort of it's influenced by that norwegian second wave of young kids committing life altering murders and arsons but yeah. but they're doing it from an older person's perspective um and taking that stuff which was semi-serious with serious consequences into like taking it seriously doing it seriously and having even more serious consequences and they produced a basically like a it's almost a mini album it's four songs in an intro that should have just been on the first song but it is hugely influenced by second, third stage, Deathspell Omega, and is this very serious look at Satanism, like in a serious, like Satan is real, this is a song really about him. So Satanism or devil worship? Because there is a difference. I don't know enough about the difference to to say. Like not Anton LaVey Satanism, which doesn't actually believe in a deity, just uses it as a symbol. I don't know. I don't know it well enough. I couldn't... Well, I just, I, I'm not willing to dissect other people's lyrics, but it, to me, it is like Satan as a real entity kind of a thing. Devil worship them. Yeah, I guess so. So, um, anyway, it's, it's very, it's very much fits in with the rest of Northern Heritage's aesthetic of pretty minimal, uh, relatively raw, but with a melodic edge black metal. Right. 
but has more of this spiraling, dissonant-oriented, something much closer to Aesoth than to Warlog or Baptism or Mugwa or any of those other more famous um, Northern Heritage bands. So I'll play for a second what it sounds like, but it's, it is very much like a, a swirling vortex, but not so much a snowstorm as one often is thinking of with black metal and much more like I'm dead. And if I'm truly going to be carried to hell, this is what it might could sound like. It's pretty spooky stuff. It definitely feels more sinister than most black metal, which just feels like rock music most of the time. I do feel like I should be wearing a cloak right now. Yeah. And there's a couple of parts in some of the songs where, like, occasionally, like, very briefly for two or three seconds at a time, scrap metal will show up or other, like, slight industrial signifiers, which are just... It's just, like, this very short kind of things that... Then a nine-minute song becomes about waiting for that two-second part yeah. because it just has that like perfect oom factor to it. And it's that, to me, is what elevates it, those few seconds. And you just get an album that... And it, I think it's partially the mystique and everything else. It just sits alone. I haven't heard their demo plus new songs little comp thing that came out a year or two ago called Bellum Terrarum or something like that. Bellum Tyrannus, maybe? Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, complete, perfect little statement and like kind of my favorite finished black metal thing other than clandestine blaze, um, to come out in the last decade, which is pretty blasphemous in its own right, but I'm willing to go there. You're a terrible person. Thank you. So there's that. Um, the next one is, uh, Pest Demon. Yeah, it, this is, it's, some of these are, like, hard to talk about with a much larger context of, like, noise and industrial music. So Pest Pe Demon. Pest Demon is a, he now records under the moniker Ark and some other stuff. Uh, Mirrors are Black, I think, is a duo he's in. And, That's less fun than Pest Demon. Yeah, Pest Demon is, so he basically had a, a, a couple self-release tapes and on some Swedish labels, but mostly... He came to my attention when he was on Unrest, and he had a final album called Helvet S. Lucid, I think. Helvet S. Lucid. Uh, I'm not very good Helvet at it. Helvet S. Lucid? 
my sweetest pronunciation, so I apologize if that's wrong. But it's four four tracks, like a little under forty minutes, and excellent artwork by Cy Clark. That's like a cityscape wreathed in like horn slash thorn, kind of like semicircle crescent shape, and there's like embossing, multi layered printing on the jacket. It's nothing like too crazy. It's more of just very well executed printing with design. And it's really classy for music that's so decrepit sounding. And he just does this really effective mixture of not quite noise, not quite industrial, like things breaking down, but without an over-reliance on like tape music type sounds. Yeah. And I just, I, I really, I loved his tapes leading up to the album because they, they were very similar in that way. And he just is able to build, it's like easier listening noise to me when it, when it's like that quote, like industrial noise where you're not getting, it's not like male supremacy by snuff where it's literal piercing, unpleasant, hot metal wire in your ear hole feedback. But instead it's a lot more rumble and crumble and maybe some hissiness, but not in a way that's like physically assaultive to listen to. And this album is basically the, the it, well, it was the end of Pest Demon and the beginning of an arc. And my understanding from talking to Andreas was he busted up most of his gear making the album and sort of, when it was done, he like literally couldn't continue on with the project the way it was because his gear was all destroyed. That's kind of uh, cool, though. Yeah, like some of it was recorded, I think, on like cell phone and then repurposed. And like, it, it all sounds really good. The vinyl's really nice. It's... It's definitely one of those that I think a lot of people recognized it for its excellence when it came out, but he was not and still isn't a big name like Swedish guy on like a bunch of other Swedish guys who are really big names in the scene. And so you can still get the album for a really reasonable price along with most of his tapes. And his arc stuff is good, but it's definitely more reductive um, in a good way, but just it's he he does he uses less to do a different kind of right. a thing. And this is much more like active and crumbly. And um, we also have like a lot of common, we, we've talked a lot over the years. He's the one who got me into um, Gene Wolfe's uh, Book of the New Sun, which I read a lot while listening to this album. And so... Your favorite book? Yeah, my favorite book. I think the first those first four books from that series. And uh, he's a cool dude, makes good music. So f- fuck with that big time. The next one is Piha Kolema Savun Vaiken Kolkisi. Uh, if that's right, my Finnish is about as bad as my Swedish. I'm turned on. It's on Anima Arctica, um, and it was the first album by Piha Kolema. I think I've talked about Miko from this group, but never the records themselves. It's like Finnish, neo-folk, modern folk, whatever you want to call it. And he's a member of Terva, Tervahat and some other stuff. He's in Vapandoristi now, I think, is the second guitarist. And whatever you... If you can put all that other stuff and dubious bands he's associated with or, or however you want to put it, but, like, you know, bands that are politically motivated no uh what's the word i'm looking for um controversial controversial (laughs) yeah i mean it's not well anyways they're pro-trump 
something like that. Anyways, Pihakwalema is is very different. Now I don't speak Finnish and I don't understand the lyrics, but they are beautiful in the way that they're sung and the music is basically just beautiful multi tracked acoustic guitar folk music with occasional little bits of electric guitar and whatever here and there. But is this the stuff you showed me before when you came back? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I saw him, I didn't even ever know about him, and then I, when I saw Flesh Press, this dude was one of the people that organized that event and also played with another guitarist and, like, a drummer, although the guy was, like, his bass drum was a suitcase and he had, like, a yep. single floor tom and whatever, or snare or whatever it was. The guy's really talented musician. His music is super beautiful. The last time I played in Finland, we played in the same shipping container, like, he was played the same show, and... I the album is just like since hearing it the first time in 2014 I have listened to it many 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 times it is really excellent music to sit around a campfire to just as good to sit at home and not understanding the lyrics does not inhibit my enjoyment in any way and there's just like there are songs that just are beautiful regardless of uh, the language barrier There's definitely people out there who won't enjoy that. Yeah. They listen to a lot of country music and date rape people, though. Yeah, but that's, like, as close to... I don't know. Anyway. Um, what? Well, I mean, it's country in the sense of it's... Uh, not modern country. No, it's not. No, but, I mean, it's, like... Old, decent country. Yeah. It's more like rebel country. It's, like I mean, it's, cash, it's but... folk music, though. Yeah. Like, it's... it's we're, Whatever. This whole singer-songwriter acoustic guitar man thing... I don't know what to call it. He just does it nice. It gets your bone hard. Yeah. I mean, but it's only very select boners. So. (laughs) And you love select boners. Please continue. I will. So the next one is Surgeons Breaking the Frame, which came out on Dynamic Tension and was, I think, his fifth album at this point or sixth album. And I knew Surgeon from when I was into techno in high school and even late middle school. He's like one of the older, long-standing, long-running names. And... I was not into techno for a long time. Like, I, I was really into dub techno and Chain Reaction, Heroin House, Micro House, Compact. We talked about MR3. But, like, the idea of real proper four to the floor, like hard techno, partially just wasn't in style for a long time. And I knew Surgeon because I also had a couple of his 12 inches that came out 
in 2007, but I mostly was, he was just somebody I knew of. I knew he was a legend. And then this record comes out, somebody on the noise forum posted about it, or maybe even linked it to me privately and sent me the YouTube clip for the song Radiance, which is a fucking monster. Let me just play it for a second real quick. It's like a pummeling, filtered, percussive thing that just moves and snarls and snares. The whole album, it, like, so Surgeon's just, he's a wacko producer. It, it, some of his 12 inches are like four variations of the same thing. And then other ones, each song is like all uniquely Surgeon, but wildly different in some ways. He just takes a lot of risks. He does whatever he wants. He was half of British Murder Boys with Regis. He's a super important legend as far as techno and British techno goes. And he comes out with this album, which for a lot of people was sort of like, we kind of forgot about Surgeon. And he shows up with something that it has equal parts like Aphex Twins, Drux meets the best of his own stuff he's ever done meets like, I don't know, something more modern and wild and weird and modular. And it's just... Every song is its own massive sort of beast of a thing, and they all have a very distinct personality. The album cover is fucking hideous, frankly, but it's, like, massive. You remember the I Spy books? Yes. That's what it looks like. That's what his records sound like. They're full of weirdo details and tons of colors and a bunch of shit that's all mixed together, but, like, has a really pleasing color-matching aesthetic thing going. It's fucking... Color composition are the words you're looking for. Yes, thank you, yeah. I only did art smart for a little bit brain not worky. <laughs> I don't really listen to that record very much anymore, although every time I do, I'm like, damn, this is a fucking sick album. But the big thing about it was, this is much like Ilsa brought me into death metal in a way that I had never really been in before and changed the course of my listening habits forever. And, like, I mean, a huge chunk of my shelf is because I saw Ilsa live on a bunch of fucking weed candy. When I heard this record six months later, uh, I fell head over heels for straight techno in a way that I never would have anticipated. And literally one of my whole shelves is just techno record, like straight, just techno and just techno, just techno. Yeah. What the boots and the cats. Mm. Uh, yeah. And We're still funny, right, guys? <laughs> no. And so, 
it just fucked me up. And again, I still got <laughs> I got like another year and a half before I get sober. So I'm doing the drugs. I'm doing the drink, and then I'm buying Techno Twelve Inches from Hard Wax and Discogs. Like, at, like you would think they were gonna stop pressing records for the rest of the time unless I kept buying them. It, it, it was furious. It was nightmarish. Nobody wanted to be around me. It was four to the floor. I blew out speakers on two different cars because of it. It's all basically because of this fucking album. And this leads me directly into something that I discovered then, like, three, three four months later. Like, at the very end of 2011, I heard Sandwell District's Sandwell District album, which is... Which was on what label? Sandwell District. <laughs> and uh, it, it's the sort of, like, remixed predecessor of feed uh forward which was the vinyl only fancier art filled whatever version which sort of turned sandwell district into the powerhouse they were but by the time anybody by the time the massive crossover started happening and sleek modern 2010 techno was the new big in thing and regis became as important as joy division for a while and this like weirdo post-punk techno whole deal uh that Vinyl version was long gone and selling for two to three hundred dollars, and now sells for like a thousand dollars. And the CD version was still briefly available, which I picked up for like twelve bucks, and now sells for hundreds of dollars itself at times. Uh, I picked up the CD version, and it blew my feeble mind. I was at work listening to, oh fuck, oh listening to "Falling the Same Way," the re- the version of it that's on the CD, and it's it's this like gorgeous. It just reminds me of 10 other minimal techno songs from 10 years before, but brought into this new thing. It's it's amazing. And Samwell District is Regis, Female, Function, and Silent Servant. All of them appear on this CD. Their level of contribution is unclear. It definitely seems that more than most things, they truly meld together to create something better than the whole of any one of their parts. Although, I would say I generally worship Regis and most of what he does it the album is weirdly disjointed and at the same time so powerfully gels together and it just has these big slabs in the way that Regis like to do of here's a thing it starts sort of abruptly it ends almost as abruptly sometimes there's fade-ins and fade-outs not always and then you're just going to get like a really good thing for however long we decide to let it play before we cut the track. But because of functions like warm, incredible, like at his very much peak during this period, sound design and silent servants, like spooky dystopian post-punk bullshit. And I don't know where uh, Peter Sutton, I think it is the dude from females influence comes in, but it all just gels into what is like, the best techno album from 2010 to 2020 and probably from 2000 to 2010, at least as far as pure normal techno goes and it's minimal, but it's not as somebody who years before this was listening to compact and parallel. it's not that kind of minimal. It's a different thing. It's just like, it's, it's, it's going to have, I mean, it, it has had a profound effect, but will continue to have a profound effect on the world of techno. And all the of the people that came out of Sandwell District immediately following this album, especially R. R. Rose, however it's said, and some of the other guys like that, have now all gone on to like have very important careers and 
the art and aesthetics and vibe and everything about this have had a major impact on everybody from hospital productions and that whole thing to every other techno label that's started since then. It's just like a big, big deal. And it's not because the album was there first or anything else. It's because like they just did it right. They did an incredible job and you wouldn't have avian or our circular sound or any of those other fucking things shifted. Sia, all that stuff. None of that happens. None of it. It without, I mean, some of it was happening, but it was it was this that created the big push and platform for everybody else to go out and conquer, in my opinion. And I think, I think I'm right. So you always fucking think you're right. Yeah. And then to cap it all off, we've got Chelsea Wolf with Apocalypsis uh, on Pindu Sound. Bring me home, Chelsea. And she's the ultimate spooky goth girl for the 2010s who immediately turned into something crass and less good, in my opinion. I mean, her real main second album, Pain is Beauty, is called Pain is Beauty. It's got, like, a painfully bad font and a, like, I guess pretty... It's in Comic Sans. No, it's not that bad, but it's, like, everything about it... So she went from being on a, a literal, like, art, fashion design, New York, Brooklyn label art house thing and having all these, like, weird whatever stuff into a much bigger, wider scope, bigger sound, uh, more bombastically produced thing that is good, but is way more arena goth than this sort of Bonnie Vare. If Bonnie Vare was a chick who like slept next to skeletons, but also was super hot and like everybody wanted to bone her. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd slam her down, you know? Oh, yeah, dude. Fucking Chelsea Wolf. Chelsea Wolf. Yeah, she's a... Sorry, I was just looking at pictures of her. I'm horny. Yeah. So, anyways, but Apocalypsis... Apocalypsis is just one of those where it's like... I, I'm, I've i just... Every album she's released since, I've lost interest. Like, I just don't care anymore. I'm not, I'm not interested. But this album is amazing. And it doesn't really matter, like, kind of... This sort of hipster art goth whatever thing she had going at the time or what she's done since i think that this album in and of itself is better than the sum of its parts and is it's just like it's grouper if grouper was much more immediate and it's iron and wine if iron and wine was much more gothy but also like mm. plus a bunch of post-punk yeah. 80s stuff yeah it's joy division if they were a folk band who was inspired by werewolves like i don't know it's a it's an incredibly good melting pot of a bunch of things that comes together perfectly and is like a very complete album you know and it feels like perfectly weighted anything that goes like i mean she went from a single lp to a double lp let's just put it that way like it's just a different it's a very precise cohesive statement and the song Tracks is incredibly beautiful, and I can't even listen to it without wanting to die anymore because of a bunch of emotional baggage. Along with the song Movie Screen, which is like listening to the sound of literal ghosts having a romantic night in uh, while also having your heart ripped out by an ex. And then... You alright over there, My Chemical Romance? Yeah, dude, it's brutal. I know. It sounds... That probably sounds corny as hell, but I'm fine with it. I heard the album for the first time on Halloween. It couldn't have been more appropriate. So gay. Yeah, it was intentional. It just worked out that way. I'm so gay for you. The leaves were blowing. I saw a guy die that night at a club. and uh, Really? Yeah, that was the one where the dude dressed as a fairy got hit by a taxi cab and oh died God, while yeah. I was all coked out. Yikes. Yeah. It's a great record. It'll always be a great record. It doesn't matter like what she has done since. 
and no matter and like, how much of it is garbage yeah and it's not even garbage it's just like she she does this like pseudo nine inch nails kind of like industrial doom rock stuff yeah. that's just i feel like i should love it and it doesn't move me at all like i just i can't but i i think for a lot of people that are 10 years younger than me they're like this is my chick and that's awesome i don't i don't think she's bad it's just she moved very quickly away from the intimate spooky territory into like arena rock with trappings of spook so can we start a band named trappings of spook i would be happy to and that wraps up two years out of <laughs> fucking ten. Uh, you know, as far as my personal recommendations go, feel free to tell me how wrong I am. Hopefully, the the samples we've interspersed from the Contact albums... him directly, though, because I'm the one who runs our email yeah. account. So. I also am no longer... My Instagram account's still up. I'm not on it. So reach out to me there, because I will not respond. If you got titty pics, send them to the email account. Yeah, send them to those uh, the goddamn email. Uh, you can text me directly with them titties. But, but yeah, uh, I hope the sound clips have maybe persuaded some people to check out things they otherwise wouldn't have listened to. Most of these records, like, well, actually less than half of them are probably available on Spotify, but almost all of them are most likely most on... Most of it you can get on YouTube. Yeah, YouTube. And um, most of these are not super hard to come by, but there there's some deeper cuts in there, the ones that have stuck out with me. And I'm really stoked to do 2012 because 2012 is just fucking lit. Anatomia, Black Marble, Dead Condemned. Shut up, shut up. Shut up. Save it. Grimes. Stop it. Paul Bear. I'm going to smack you. Purity ring. <laughs> it's nuts. So. We'll That's get... a lot of nuts. Yeah. It's fucking balls. You're going to love my nuts. You're going to love my nuts. Yeah, thank you so much. Welcome back. Motel Hell, BDMFT, You and Me. RCBC. What is this show even anymore? Yeah. The RCBC? Night. Yeah, I don't know. I was trying to make rhymes. I, I had to write a letter about RCBC earlier. Some of those are my initials, so it kind of makes sense. Rocket College, Burlington County. We're back, baby. We're bringing you the hot takes. The hot takes. I don't the cold rhyme. lakes. The brown snakes. <laughs> 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 so we gotta go because they're coming they're slithering their way in oh, I'm fading fast yeah. guys alright later nerds later nerds <laughs>